Good morning, and uh, welcome to Christ Community Leewood Campus. I'm Tom Nelson, and uh, we're glad you're here. I don't know if this is summer or fall, but summer is winding down, isn't it? And, uh, you know, we often think of the first of the year as the time of change, but really, isn't this a time of change for all of us, at least most of us? Uh, fall welcomes lots of change. Sometimes it's welcome change. Sometimes, well, it's unsettling change, and it floods our hearts with, well, worry, fear, Sometimes loneliness or uncertainty. I heard from several uh, first service, they're sending their preschooler uh, off to school. And uh, you know how tough that is. Or maybe a son or daughter off to college for the first time. And wow, that empty nest seems very empty. Maybe this fall there's a new change in your class schedule in school or a teacher you're not sure about. Or maybe there's well, maybe there's a job change or a change of status, and so you're kind of wondering about the fall and wondering what it will bring. And maybe there's some uncertainty or anxiety in your heart. Change can be unsettling, can it? But I want to challenge all of us that it can also be eye-opening. It can be life-changing. Change often brings us opportunities for growth, and I guess that's why I am so buoyant and excited about our new series this fall. I'm very hopeful as we cover the terrain of prayer. Now, when I say that, uh, you go, wow, prayer, that's a, that's a toughie. Um, but I want to suggest to you that no matter where we are in life, younger, older, our spiritual life or journey, wherever we are, um, that we wrestle with prayer. And, and all of us do pray at some level, don't we? Uh, sometimes we face a crisis, <laughs> but you better believe we shoot up a prayer. Or we maybe wrestle feeling valued or connected or maybe some of us are seeking life direction. Uh, maybe some of us have or recently or are encountering deep change or emotional pain in our lives. No matter what our context is, even this week or today, whatever's on our circumstantial plate, we do pray. And I also think it's true for all of us, including pastors, and we're supposed to know how to pray well, uh, that all of us, prayer is not only a mystery, but it's a challenge for all of us. And I don't know about you, but I feel like a beginner in this thing called prayer. So as we're going to launch a series on prayer, we probably ought to pray first. What do you think? So let's bow as we pray, as we open God's word together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you that you have allowed us to pray. And uh, I pray that you would guide us um, as we listen to you and are attentive to you. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you go to Amazon.com, uh, I did recently and put prayer in the book search section. I just want you to know, and this is trivia, you, can, you don't have to take notes on this, uh, you come up with 115,400 results. And uh, that seems to say, curiously enough, that if you also put in the word dieting, in Amazon.com, in the book search section, you actually have more results, 124,410, just in case you wondered. And uh, I'm not a math guy, but if you have your math right, somehow it tells me that, um, well, that's 8% more books on dieting than prayer. You say, why am I talking about this? Because <laughs> prayer and dieting have something in common. That is, I think they generate a great deal of interest. Why is that? Because somehow we know that, don't we all of us, that eating more healthy means having a more healthy body and a healthy life. And somehow we intuit also that prayer is important for a healthy spiritual life. 
And I'm going to suggest that what food is to our bodies, prayer is to our soul. And as we begin to think about prayer, the first question I'd like to ask is the question, are you listening? Are you listening? It's a question all of us ask God, is it not? At one time or another, sometimes the prayers we pray seem like they're bouncing off the wall or the ceiling. And in this question, are you listening, can fuel our doubt, it can fan our skepticism. It often makes us wonder, does it not, that is there a God who cares? Is there a God who listens to me? But what if we are missing something? What if we need to ask another important question in this mystery and journey and challenge of prayer? What if prayer is more about God asking us the question, are we listening? What if prayer is more about our attentiveness to God rather than wondering about God's attentiveness to us? What if God is saying to you and to me and to us, are you listening? What if God is reaching out to you this morning and he is asking you to be attentive to him? See, when it comes to prayer, the good news is that we have a guide, we have a help. We have a tutorial language to respond to the God who is always attentive to us. It is the masterpiece of soul care throughout history. This marvelous, inspired book is the book of Psalms. Throughout Christian history, the Old Testament book of Psalms has been this primary guide to prayerful intimacy with God in the life of the soul. And in the Psalms, God, we see, has already spoken. He's already started the dialogue. He has already opened the conversation and welcomed us into it. God has already addressed us, not only in what he speaks, but what he has spoken and what he speaks through what he has spoken. And the Psalms lay out a foundational idea that is going to help us navigate seven exploratory weeks through the book of Psalms. And it is this very important idea that we must grasp this morning. And here it is. The Psalms, from very beginning to very end, tell us that foundationally prayer is our attentive response to God. It is our attentive response to God. The Psalms, from very beginning, welcome us to a God-bathed world, and they immerse us in the healing force of their breathtaking, poetic, literary beauty. Let me say as we enter in, the Psalms are primarily not words of instruction. Rather, they are authentic, heartfelt words of confession, of, of joy, of praise, of love, of trust, of sorrow, of anger, of loneliness, of confusion, of despair, of fear, of hope, of anger, of heartache, I mean, repentance and longing. The Psalms are impregnated with desire to enter into the life-giving presence of the triune God, our creator and redeemer. The Psalms invite us both as individuals and as a community of faith to be completely transparent with God, to simply come as we are and to be changed by God. As we read the Psalms, they read us. They draw us into the brokenness of our lives toward a place and journey of wholeness and delight in God and his life and purpose and intimacy for us. I want you to picture with me this image. 
As we enter into the Psalms, the Psalms are the most brilliant and beautiful and welcoming and tender and intimate welcome mat imaginable for you and me to enter a God-bathed world and life. It is as if the mat is out in front of a door, a door that we walk through to explore the brilliance of this intimacy with God, this attentiveness to him. I want you also to notice that when we enter the Psalms, this welcome mat welcomes us home, a place to find rest in God, an ultimate rest one day. If you brought a Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to the Psalms. And as we enter into the Psalms, I want you to imagine these two foundational Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, are like an entry door with a welcome mat out in front. And I want you to also to notice that the Psalms do not begin with actual prayers. Psalm 1 and 2 are not actual prayers. Rather, they are like pre-prayers. They are like a posture for us to embrace as we stand on this welcome mat, as we walk through this door of wisdom and enter into this world that God has for us. Here in Psalm 1 and 2, I want you to notice that we encounter two images, primary images, poetically, of a tree and a king. And with these two images, we are ushered into two postures of prayer. First, the tree in Psalm 1 gives us the sense that prayer is a posture, a posture of wise attentiveness, wise attentiveness. And as we enter into Psalm 2, we will notice the primary image is of anointed king, a king, and this gives us a posture of humble confidence. So wise attentiveness and humble confidence are the welcome mat that allow us to enter into the door of prayer and the life of a God-bathed world. And this will frame the flow of our thought this morning. First, Psalm 1. Here we are called to embrace a posture of attentiveness. And I want you to notice, as thoughtful listeners and readers of the sacred text, that both in its content and its poetic form and its poetic genre, in ancient Hebrew genre, this psalm invites us to embrace this posture of attentiveness. Eugene Peterson, a wonderful writer and biblical scholar, captures it well when he says this in a book called Answering God. Listen carefully. He says, poetry is languaged, language used with personal intensity. Poets tell us what our eyes, blurred with too much gawking, and our ears, dulled with too much chatter, miss around us and within us. Miss around us and within us. So the poetry structure of Psalm 1 helps us to see what we often miss. And here we understand to pray, we must see. This is an ancient Hebrew poem, a hymn. It is structured, if you notice, around two contrasting ways of life, along with that two corresponding contrasting images. Notice that the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness is contrasted with a fruitful tree and fickle chaff. So here in Psalm 1, we are told and invited right away to a wise life of attentiveness to God, contrasted with a foolish life of non-attentiveness or inattentiveness to God. That frames this beautiful poem. So in verses 1 through 3, notice that we are given a portrait of a God with life 
or a with God life, a life of attentiveness in all of life. Look with me at verse 3. The psalmist says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, I have to say that I am a tree hugger. I hope that doesn't make you not want to listen to me. I love trees. I grew up with trees in my Minnesota heritage, big, tall monsters. And uh, I was just in Colorado with Liz, my bride, for vacation. And I gained just a renewed appreciation for the brilliance of a Colorado blue spruce towering into the mountain blue sky and all the fragrance of that beautiful canopy that I was surrounded in all week. There's something about a tree, and the psalmist understands this across time and cultures, that gives us a sense of awestruck beauty and the impressive nature of a towering tree above us, and also, collectively, the importance of a tree within its healthy ecosystem. In other words, this tree is not just an individual tree. It is deeply embedded in the collective reality of the ecosystem of God's world. So the psalmist is brilliantly capturing a tree in its depth and breadth and beauty that gives us a picture of what? It's an invitation to this life of human flourishing, individually and collectively. A life of blessing, joy, happiness, purpose, wholeness, intimacy, and yes, accomplishment. But notice how the psalm is structured. What is the key that opens this door and allows us to experience this? Notice verses one and two. The key posture is a joyful and wise attentiveness. Notice verses one and two. Blessed is the man who walks in the council, walks not in the council of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scorn scoffers, but his delight is in the law or scripture or Torah instruction of scripture of the Lord. That's the idea. And in his scriptures, he meditates day and night. Now, I want you to notice, again, as thoughtful listeners and observers of the sacred text, that the psalmist brilliantly weaves together two things, an attentive way of life and an attentive way of the heart. Do you see that? An attentive way of life and an attentive way of the heart. First, the attentive way of life is captured in this progression notice of walk, stand, and sit. But not only through all of life, you also notice the attentive way of the heart. That is, that we are to carefully meditate, or we may say, like um, contemplate or marinate on the truths of Holy Scripture day and night. Now, growing up, I have to say that I was probably an obnoxious kid. Uh, I try to think I was really curious, but uh, I was often distracted. Anybody like that here that wrestles with distraction? I remember my mom telling me many times, and I don't know, I didn't always receive it well. Um, my teachers would tell me this when I'm squirming in my seat or looking out the window, or my coaches, my wrestling coaches, oh my goodness, they continually said to me this, and they often, they all call me Tommy. You can still call me Tommy. Makes me feel good, but Tommy, pay attention. Tommy, pay attention. Would you pay attention? Right? Maybe some of you kids hear that from your parents. But I can't remember recently, as I've gotten older, loving friends in my life telling me that. Maybe you'd like to tell me that. Maybe you're wrestling with paying attention this morning, but Tom, would you pay attention? And I think this is a tragedy because sometimes when we're younger, we think we really need to learn how to pay attention. But we often forget that as we get older, perhaps the greater need of our lives is to pay attention. We never outgrow the need to pay attention. 
So the psalmist is telling us that an attentive way of life, a prayerful life requires a disciplined intentionality of attentiveness. A disciplined intentionality of attentiveness. And notice the psalmist captures the affection of the heart. Do you see that? Because he knows and we know that we love and what we love most, we pay most close attention to. Because the love of our heart and the focus of our eyes are inextricably linked. Here in verse 2, the Hebrew poet brilliantly employs a Hebrew word that is translated in English, delight. For example, this word is used a lot in the Old Testament. I'll just give you two examples, okay? Just, it's just an amazing word. In Genesis 34, 19, it captures the emotion, the pleasure, the feeling of a young man and a young woman. Intense delight in the relationship and love. It's also described in Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel describes it as beautiful uh, fabric or clothes. And Ezekiel describes this elegant fabric as the garments of delight. We must not miss that delight here conveys a sense of intense and abiding and rapturous pleasure. Yeah. Because something that captures the closest attentiveness of our eyes stirs the deepest affections of our heart. What we delight in, we pay very close attention to. I've seen it a lot. I see it in my life. Young moms, maybe you're a young mom. It's amazing when I see a young mom holding a newborn baby. I mean, there is such love and such absolute attention on that precious gift. I love it. Last night I attended a wedding, and every time I either do a wedding or attend a wedding, it's so amazing when the groom walks up and the bride comes down that aisle, and I watch both of their eyes. Do you? I mean, it's just like they are enraptured in love and delight. It's a dance of pure delight. Their hearts beating for one another, longing for one another, a joy immeasurable. Often at airports, and sometimes because of the work I do, I spend way too much time there. It's not always fun, believe me. Sometimes it's a very lonely place, airports. But one of the things I love about airports is every now and then I get to see a reunion of a family. You've been there. I mean, particularly members of our armed forces that come home from a long deployment. And they walk off the plane, and once that person gets outside of security, their family, their brothers, sisters, kids, moms, they're all just like locked on with delight. A reunion of someone they love. And they embrace each other in their arms. And even if I'm a grumpy guy that day, I cannot help but smile. What we are most attentive to is what we most love. Maybe a relationship. Maybe our work. Friends at school. Maybe a hobby like golf. Maybe a sports team we follow, right? Like the Royals, we're all following. And maybe a work of art that enraptures us, or music that takes us to another place of joy. 
One of my favorite writers, so brilliant she was, a Simone Weil, a French writer. And she said this with such extraordinary insight. She said, love is focused attention. Love is focused attention. Isn't this why some of the most painful things in our life are, let's say a lifelong friend or a real loyal friend who begins to ignore us or doesn't pay attention to us? Because a posture of attentiveness is a posture of love. And I think the greatest challenge of prayerful intimacy with God is not so much about knowing what to say. We all wrestle with that. But it's much more to the psalmist about what our heart truly loves. The psalmist says the attentive life delights in God's revealed word to us, the Holy Scriptures. What we delight in, what we find pleasure in, is what we pay close attention to. Leighton Ford, Christian leader and writer, challenges my heart. He busts me. He rips me up with this word. Because I think one of my greatest sins in life is what I often miss. He says one of the greatest sins is inattentiveness. This is what he says. Perhaps inattentiveness is our greatest sin. Not only against God, but against ourselves. Wow. See, what we are most attentive to is what our hearts most delight in. Intentiveness is not merely a problem of the eye. It is a problem of the heart. Your heart and my heart. So let me ask you this morning, what is your heart delighting in? What do you think about, talk about most? What guides your life priorities? How do you spend your time and resources? What forms your closest friendships? Where are you finding security? What shapes your enduring hope in the midst of life's difficulties and uncertainties? Where do the deepest longings of your heart take you this morning? Here in Psalm 1, the psalmist addresses the matter of the heart first and foremost. Because prayer begins with delighting in God's word to us. It is, prayer is our delightful an attentive response to the God who has already addressed us, who is reaching out to you and me, who longs for intimacy with us. So are you listening to him? Are we listening to him as a faith community? Do we at Christ's community have a posture of attentiveness? We must not miss the Psalms where the prayer book guide and prayer language, not just of individuals, but of a faith community of old. See, Psalm 1 stirs our hearts. It stirs us deeply to ponder our present posture, both as individuals and as a faith community. Is our posture one of wise attentiveness to God's word or foolish inattentiveness to it? Is our posture as we come to this series one of properly or improperly ordered loves of the heart? Will we be tall and fruitful trees or will we be fickle chaff that is simply blown to and fro by the slightest wind of no consequence? Psalm 1 frames us with a posture of attentiveness. Psalm 2 also presents to us the second posture of prayer, and that is humble confidence. Notice the primary image of the king, the anointed king in Psalm 2. Let me read verses 1 through 7 again. Why do the nations rage? 
and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away. Ah, but he who sits in the heavens and you can add ha here, alas, ha. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath, terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. The psalmist moves the literary poetic lens from a tree to a king. It is a king. He is a king that is far above all earthly kings. You see it, you hear it in the poetry. A powerful king, sovereign over all the nations. A king who chuckles to himself at the puniness of earthly power. He is the king who is the very son of God himself. So who is this king? This psalm is a little more opaque than Psalm 1. So what does this mean? Let me, let me clarify just a moment. What's going on here? Psalm 2, as well as Psalm 1, is written in the context of a story of a God who created the world, a world who was captured by rebellion and sin, but a God who did not abandon the world, but redeemed it and set a plan of redemption for the world, that one day all things would be restored. God enters into covenant with Abraham, and then it builds to David. King David is one who wrote many of the Psalms, which is really important for us to grasp. But it's David himself in 2 Samuel 7 that is given a promise by God that this king would be eternal. He'd be forever. He'd be the Messiah, the anointed one. And in 2 Samuel 7, 14, we hear God speaking these very, wor- very words to David. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When we walk down the bumpy terrain of time to the New Testament, we get this brilliant glimpse of this king. The psalmist is pointing our eyes and hearts to him. The New Testament writers look back to Psalm 2 on several occasions and they point to Jesus of Nazareth. The Messiah anointed king who enters human history in time and space, who graces this broken planet in his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. And he gives us confident access to God through prayer. Apostle Paul says it brilliantly in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. The Messiah King Jesus is not only unimaginably great and good, he is absolutely, completely accessible and he is reaching out to you and me this morning. The King is attentive to us. And I want you to notice carefully in the beauty of Psalm 1 and 2, in the original language, there's no division between these psalms. And there is a poetic duo packaged here beautifully around the word happy or blessed. Happy, I think, is a better translation. You will notice the theme is happy is the person who not only is attentive to God, but the person who is confident in God. Do you notice that Psalm 1 begins with happy and Psalm 2 ends with happy or blessedness? How do we experience this happy, blessed life? Psalm 2.12 says, blessed as the psalm ends are those who take refuge in him, who place their confidence and security in him. Leighton Ford in a brilliant book called The Attentive Life, it's a fabulous book, captures it with these words. Listen carefully. It says, the path to attentiveness 
has already come to earth and is open for your travel. What are the Psalms? The Psalms to me are inspired trail markers on this heart arresting, deeply longing, joy erupting invitation to the life God has for you and me. A life of intimacy and wholeness and joy. And this is the path we are going to explore together in the next seven weeks. I hope you will join me and the teaching team and all of us with an open mind and an expectant heart. One of the things I'm going to encourage you to do this morning is a point of very doable and transformational application is to listen or read to a psalm every day through Open Here. This is an email we send out to our congregation. If you haven't got it, you can go to our website. It comes to your phone or your computer and you can open up and hear it or listen to it. Psalms are not long, but pay very close attention to them. Be fully present with them as you read and listen. Allow them to marinate your heart. Savor their words. Let me also raise three initial questions I'd like all of us to keep in mind as we explore the Psalms together. And I'd like you to write these three questions down somewhere and carry them with you as we walk through this series. Three questions. First, he is attentively listening. How about you? How about you? We all struggle, don't we, with noisy, cluttered, distracted lives. When's the last time you sat through a meal, even as a family? And you missed mostly the entire conversation because your mind is lingering elsewhere. Or have you taken a walk with someone, even someone you love and cherish, and the minutes have passed by and you realize you haven't tracked with them at all? It's not only embarrassing, we miss out on the deep connection. We miss out on the intimacy of a relationship. We miss out on life. One of the greatest challenges of living a more attentive life is that we live in such a hyper nanosecond world where our attention spans are shortening at an alarming rate. Wall Street Journal recently covered their latest research. The last few years, our attention spans and their research have gone from 12 minutes to five minutes. That doesn't bode well for an attentive life. We struggle, all of us, grasping fully what attentiveness is but we can grasp what attentiveness is not. Attentiveness is not hearing the phone ring and immediately running to it. Or this one is so true in my life when the little ding or however it goes when the text comes into your phone. Attentiveness is not hearing that ding in your phone and immediately running to it. Attentiveness is not immediately running to your best friend to know what to do. Attentiveness is not numbing out the world around you share with you the three biggest threats, existential threats in my life that lead me to inattentiveness. First, distraction, fatigue, and hurry. Those three, distraction, fatigue, and hurry. Distraction gets my eyes off what is most important at the moment. Fatigue dulls my concentration on what is most important in hurry. Oh my goodness. Hurry is like doing a flyover to life. And it makes me miss what's most important. And what I observe about Jesus' life in the New Testament is what an attentive life he lived. 
a lack of distraction, no hurry, no fatigue. Jesus was attentive to his heavenly father. Jesus was attentive to people and the needs around him. Jesus was attentive to his vocational calling, his work as a carpenter, to doing good work and the people he served. He was attentive. He was fully present. He was attentive to his work as an itinerant rabbi, his healing of others, his proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He was attentive to the climatic calling, going to the cross as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus lived an attentive life. The Psalms speak of Jesus, they point to Jesus, and the Psalms were the prayer book Jesus learned at the feet of Mary and went with him all his earthly journey. And some of Jesus' last words on the cross are quotes from this prayer book. And Jesus invites us to learn from him. In Matthew chapter 11, he invites us into this life. He says, what? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you this life. The welcome mat is open. The door is open. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Two things are required to be an apprentice of Jesus. Submission to him and attentiveness to him. Attentiveness is the foundation of teachability. We not only need to be open to learn, we need to be attentive to learn. And attentiveness is like the glove around a hand of a life of faithfulness. To live a faithful life, we must be attentive. So as an apprentice of Jesus, are you living a distracted life or an attentive life? Is your life hurried, fatigued, distracted? God is attentively listening to you. The question is, are you being attentive, listening to him? Secondly, he is fully present. Second question, how about you? How about you? Psalmist reminds us in Psalm 46.1 that attentiveness is being still and knowing that he is God, that he is absolutely in charge and fully present in your life no matter what you're facing. God's omnipresence, that he is everywhere, is not just a nice doctrine. It is the foundational presence and reality of a God-bathed world he invites you to live in. Jesus' last recorded words before his ascension were what? I am with you always, even to the end of time. And if you are a Christian this morning, the Holy Spirit's abiding presence is with you always. You are never alone. God is always present, not only this morning in church, but where you arrive at work or in your home or at school tomorrow morning. Psalm 16, 8, we hear the psalmist's intentionality of attentiveness to God's abiding presence. The psalmist says, I have set the Lord continually before me. In our attentive response to God, we have a conversation with God everywhere we are and everywhere we go. With our children at home, at school, at work, all of life. The attentive life is not just a Sunday life. It is a Monday life. It's where we live and breathe and cooperate and commune with God about how we serve others and seek his glory. To learn from Jesus, we must be fully present with him throughout the day. Rabbi Paul becomes the apostle. Paul says this, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And one of the ways we practice that presence and practice attentiveness is to memorize and marinate on Holy Scripture. And I would encourage you this morning, 
take Psalm 1. It's not hard to memorize. Put it on the wallpaper of your computer or 3x5 card. Take it with you this week. Review it in your mind. Delight in it and pray it back to God. Because the Psalms were not written just to be heard or to be read, but to be, to be, to be prayed back to him. They are our prayer book. Prayer is our attentive response to God. Are you listening? Are you fully present? And last, let me raise this question that we're gonna lean into more down the road. God is completely in charge. Will you rest in him this morning? Psalm 2 ends with this. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Will your heart and will your mind this morning take refuge in King Jesus? Will you in the midst of your fears, your uncertainties, the turbulence of your world, the difficult circumstances of life you are facing, the issues of security, hope, and peace, will you find rest in Jesus' easy yoke? The one who died for you on the cross, who gloriously rose from the dead, who offers you the gift of grace, of forgiveness of sin, and new creation life. Let me ask you, as you look at today, look at this week, you may be feeling fearful. Things maybe seem daunting. There are things in my schedule that seem daunting this week. What is it? It feels overwhelming and daunting in your life right now. Will you assume a posture of attentiveness? Will you assume a posture of humble confidence in God who is your refuge and strength? Our listening. Prayer is our attentive response to God for he is our refuge and strength. It is in him we find to rest. Let's pray. Lord, we confess, I confess the hurriedness, distraction, fatigue of my life often. And Lord, individually and collectively as a faith community, we want to be more attentive to you. Remove the hurry from our lives, the distraction of our minds, the fatigues of our bodies. And may we be still and know that you are God. Call us to the restful, attentive life. In Jesus' name.